0: Chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When I was 10 years old, a friend and I climbed to the top of the tallest poplar tree we could find as it was swaying in the wind. And I looked out on a wonderful view and thought, this is the highest I've ever been. When I was 19 years old on a holiday, I went up the Eiffel Tower and I looked out on a view that was absolutely magnificent over Paris. And I thought to myself, this is the highest I've ever been. When I was 45 years old, I flew to America in a 747 at 37,000 feet. And I could see whole countries in a view, Greenland, Iceland. And I thought to myself, this is the highest I have ever been. In fact, that is the highest I have ever been. But there are those who have gone even higher. Astronauts that have gone into space and looked down and seen the whole world in their view. God wants us to have a larger view. He wants us to get over our limited view of things and have a God's perspective on all things. And above all, he wants us to see just who Jesus is. Elisha had to pray for his servant. Lord, open his eyes. Paul had to pray for the Ephesians, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The Gospel of John is trying to give us a higher view, a loftier view. Now, the four Gospels have all got a different emphasis. Matthew, it's thought, was largely written for the Jewish nation. Matthew strives to show that Jesus is the Messiah. Mark wanted to show the humanity of Jesus. So to Mark, he reveals the suffering servant. Luke wants to show that Jesus is the savior for everyone as his audience was mainly the Gentile world. John wants to show the divine nature of of Jesus, for instance, he introduces the miracles that Jesus did as signs showing the glory of the Son of God. John wants to open our eyes to just who Jesus is. You'll have noticed that John starts his gospel differently to all the others. He says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. Chapter 1 is literally an introduction to the gospel of John. The first 14 verses tells us several things about Jesus, and I want to pick up on a few of those this morning. The first is, he tells us that Jesus is in authority over us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Trench, in his commentary, says, had the Word a beginning? John says, no. For if we reach back to any beginning, there already was in existence the Word. At once it is evident to John's vision, the word is no other than God, the self-existent one. Here we see the fact of Christ's supremacy. He is over all. One writer put it this way, he is God over us. The picture we have here, of course, is of Jesus' pre-incarnate state in the eternal realms with God. John calls him the word because he is the perfect revelation of who God is. Romans 9.5 says of the Jews, theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all forever praised. The New Testament teaches that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is Lord was actually probably the f- one of the first creedal statements of the Church of Jesus. In fact, you find that in 1 John uh, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 12, that uh, they talk about this uh, statement, no one can say except by the Spirit of God, that Jesus is Lord. The Greek word Lord or "Kyrie" is one of the most important words in the Bible. It occurs 75 times in the New Testament alone, standing alone. People coming to Jesus loved to call him Lord. They saw that as the title fitting to the Son of God. Examples are Matthew 8.2, the leper Eight, six the centurion, 15.22, the Canaanite woman. A little further on, the mother of a uh, demon-possessed boy, two blind men. And then in the Gospel of John, the royal official, the invalid, the woman caught into, in adultery, the man born blind, they all came to Jesus calling him Lord. The New Testament uh, the in the NIV, the phrase in the New Testament Lord Jesus, the two together, appears 102 times. John and the whole New Testament want to get over this message that Jesus is our Lord. When I was young, I was once, I got a, a job for Hepworth the Tailors selling suits. The manager was a man called Clark, and behind his back, we all called him Nobby. Now, I, I think the reason that people with the surname Clark get called Nobby is that years ago, clerks in offices used to wear a bowler hat called a Nobby hat. At least that's uh, one of the suggestions why that is so. Anyway, he was an obnoxious little fellow. He really was. He was more a dictator than a manager. He treated our staff. Like slaves. He picked on you for every little thing. He never gave a compliment. He was a miserable man. I only stayed there six months and left as quickly as I could get another job. Jesus is our Lord. He's the one over us. But He's not like Nobby Clark, thank God. Jesus is loving, kind, caring. We're under his authority, but it's not the authority of a dictator. It's the authority of one who loved us so much that he gave himself for us. In the New Testament, in Matthew 22, the enemies of Jesus came to him trying to trip him up and get him in trouble. And they asked him the question, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, the Pharisees were ardent nationalists. They had a group in, the, uh, in Jerusalem who they hated called the Herodians because they were, um, they were supporting the Roman rule under King Herod. That's why they were called the Herodians. But they got in league with these and they came together, these two groups, to Jesus and asked this question. Now, if Jesus said, no, don't give the imperial tax to Caesar, the Herodians would go and report him to the Romans, he'd be arrested for treason. If he said yes, the Pharisees would denounce him to the nation as being disloyal to the Jewish nation. So Jesus said, show me the coin used for the imperial tax. They brought him a denarius, a common Everyday coin. On one side was the portrait of the emperor Tiberius. On the other, this inscription, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Jesus then said something quite simple but profound. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. If you think about it, everything that Caesar owned was God's anyway. Because the Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But that phrase, give to God what is God's. Our love, our allegiance, our surrender, our service, everything we own belongs to God. That doesn't mean, of course, you've got to empty your bank account and put it all in the offering plate next Sunday morning, although I dare say the treasurer wouldn't object to that. He's smiling and raising his thumb. But uh, what it does mean that we recognize that everything we have belongs to God because he is the one in authority over us. And all we have comes from him. Martin Luther said, I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, I still possess. Second thing I want to point out that John says is that Christ is our advocate. He is standing before God for us. He says, verse 4 to 5, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word, he says, is the source of life. Now, he didn't use the word bios for biological life. He used the Greek word zoe, which means the life force or life principle itself. So one writer says that power which creates life and maintains all else is it the exist in the ex- in existence was the logos the word the life was the light of men. It isn't that the word contains life; the word is life itself. He is the life. He is the light. Without Jesus, Ephesians 2 tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sins, spiritually lifeless. Jesus came to bring us to life spiritually in him. The light cannot lose against the darkness. John says, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it. F.F. Bruce says, in the first creation, darkness was upon the face of the deep. Genesis 1 verse 2, until God called light into being. So in the new creation, it involves the banishing of spiritual darkness by the light which shines in the word. Another writer says, we see here Christ's advocacy, that he is God for us. The fact that he is God over us can be a frightening concept. But the scripture reveals that this king of the universe cares for us. It is true that he is holy and just and righteous. It is true that one day he will judge all of the earth. Yet this judge is now our advocate. The one who pleads for us in the presence of God. So Romans 8.31, Paul was able to say, What should we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The cross of Calvary is a demonstration of the love of God for us. So it says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some years ago, I was Going through a really tough time in ministry in the church. Um, all pastors know sometimes, uh, you know, church can give you a bit of grief. And uh, um, I had a, s- a small group in the church who had got in with some legalists and were really challenging just about everything in freedom that we were doing in the church. And at one point, they one of them even got up and interrupted a service. And I was just feeling the pressure of all this, getting discouraged, just wondering what to do because these were some of them influential people. One morning I got a card through the post from one of the members. In it was simply the words of an old hymn that hymn, How Firm a Foundation, You Saints of the Lord. And the verses are good verses. The first verse says, Fear not. I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. I thought, God, that's a great verse. The second was good too. It said, when through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee, thy trouble to bless and sanctify to thee Thy deepest distress. But when I got to the next verse, something in me was quickened, and faith rose and confidence rose. And it, because it says, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never. Sake That gave me the faith and confidence to deal with that problem. They left and I said goodbye to them. And uh, we moved on into freedom and the blessing of God. That hymn is believed to have been inspired by Isaiah 46 verse 4. Where Isaiah says, even to your old age, he's quoting God. And gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. John says, God is for us. Then, thirdly, he says, Christ will not forsake us. He is God with us. And the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John reveals him as the word made flesh. In the incarnation, Jesus clothed himself with human flesh and came to live among us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 to 23 says this, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means, God with us. Some suggest was, uh, that John, in, in writing this, was countering a, a false sect called the Dositi. Um, a heresy that said that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh it just looked and appeared that he did but really he didn't at all they were denying the humanity of Jesus but John says the the word became flesh and dwelt among us think of that phrase and dwelt among us the the some suggest the phrase is a kind of borrowed from the Old Testament and could read and tabernacled among us. The sense and context of Jesus' humanity, the God with us, the God coming to live among us is like in Israel's time when the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, was in the center of the camp and God tabernacled among them. Clark, in his commentary, says, The human nature which Jesus took of the virgin, being as the shrine, house, or temple in which the immaculate deity condescended to dwell, the word glory is probably an allusion to the divine Shekinah glory in the Jewish temple. In the tabernacle, you remember, it was in the center Of Israel's camp. It was the place where God's word, the law of Moses, was placed and preserved. It was the place of the dwelling place of God in the middle of his people. It was the place of revelation where Moses met and spoke with God. It was the place where atonement was made. It was the center of Israel's worship. Spurgeon, picking up on that, says, If God has come to dwell among men by the word made flesh, let us pitch our tents around the central tabernacle. Do not let us live as though God were a long way off. Jesus needs to be the center of the church, the center of our lives, the center of our worship, the center of our secular life and work and of everything else. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is John's most startling statement so far. It would have amazed both the Jews and the Greeks to hear that the word became flesh. You see, the Greeks thought of God as too low. The gods of the Greeks, Zeus, Hermes and the like, were really like supermen rather than God above us. The Jews thought of God as too high, too distant, almost like the deus view. The ancient Jew would have had a great, a great difficulty accepting that the word could become flesh and dwell among us. But he did. He came in human form, John says, and dwelt among us. You know, some people think they've got to go from place to place to find God. In Norfolk, where I lived and was brought up, uh, people flock from all over to a shrine, the Walsingham Shrine. I expect Tony probably knows about that, having lived uh, uh, and Yvonne in in Norwich. And uh, they seem to think that if they go, they're going to find God. You can buy holy water there, apparently. In France, it's Lord's. And there are many other holy sites to where people go. And if we have to be careful as Pentecostals too, because when people hear of a a, a bit of a revival going somewhere, everyone flocks to it to find the presence of God. We need to be careful on that. Because we don't have to go anywhere to find the presence of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In 1995, my Father came over from America to visit us. And I took him one day, uh, I let the ladies take uh, his wife uh, into town, and I took him to Bristol to see John Wesley's chapel. It's well worth a visit, you know. It really is. He loved it. He, He loved seeing the room where he studied, the pulpit he preached from. He stood in that pulpit, and I took a photo of him. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church, a real man of God who traveled thousands of miles preaching the gospel. Because of his charitable nature, he was always giving his money away, he died a poor man. As a result, however, of his life's work, he left 135,000 Methodist Church members. He left 541 Methodist preachers. He left a whole movement for God. When he was dying at the age of 87, 2nd of March, 1791, his friends gathered round him and uh, he took their hands and said farewell to them. Then he let go of the hands and raised his arms heavenward and he said to them this in his feeble voice, the best of all, God is with us. The best of all, he kept saying, God is with us. John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let me conclude with this. Verse 10 to 13 are important as well. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came unto His own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The God over us, the God for us, the God with us, It's the one who wants to come and live in us. When Jesus came to this world, the world didn't recognize him. His own people, the Jews, rejected him. But the scripture says those who received him, he gave the right, the power to become the children of God. One writer says this is why he went to the cross. This is why he died for us. He died on the cross in order that our sins could be forgiven. He ascended into heaven and sent forth his Holy Spirit to live in each of us who receives him. That is why Christ came. That is why he died. This is what the gospel message is all about. Have you asked Jesus into your life so that he can become the one over you, the one for you, the one with you. When I was a young man, we used to sing a little chorus. And I'm going to read that out in a moment. And you can make it a prayer. Let's just bow in the presence of God in prayer, shall we? And if you want to, uh, in your heart, because the Bible says God knows our thoughts from afar. If you want to pray, make this a prayer, this little chorus in your heart. Then do so. And the Lord will hear you. The little chorus says, into my heart, into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come in to my heart, Lord Jesus. Why not make that your prayer this morning? Then Jesus Christ will be all those things I've talked about for you. Father God, we thank you for your good news, for your gospel, for the truth that you're not a God far away, but the God who is with us, and over us, and for us, and in us. Lord, will you grant your blessing upon your word to our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.